Welcome to the Celtics Pod. I'm Eric Vandenbosch. All right, talking more Celtics basketball. And I think uh, we're going to talk about what we always talk about when it comes to the Celtics. Talk about trade rumors. Because you can't talk about the Celtics without talking about trades or like roster construction and stuff like that. It's been going on for several years now. So uh, this is where we are. Thanks to Kyrie Irving, by the way. With Kyrie Irving's uh, request of a trade out of Cleveland, Kyrie says that he's he wants to be the focal point, uh, doesn't want to play with LeBron, says he doesn't even want to be in the same room as LeBron, so apparently things just not going well there. Uh, some interest from Phoenix, uh, but the question is, is will Kyrie Irving resign? You know, this is something that we saw with uh, Paul George. Paul George was obviously, you know, kind of a different situation because Paul George um you know has one year left on his contract. So Kyrie Irving though, he's got two years left on his deal, uh 19 and 20 million dollars. Then he has a player option in the third year which he'll opt out of because right now he's just you know below market value at 19 and 20 million dollars. Obviously that's a ton of money, but it's a bargain. It's a deal, 19 and 20 million dollars. I mean it's not like Isaiah Thomas discount but it's a, a pretty sweet deal um he's somebody right now like Kyrie Irving because you know he's like an elite level point guard awesome three-point shooter crazy handles and if you get him at like 19 and 20 million dollars that's fantastic you know because that's kind of what you need in the NBA right now because the NBA is all about having stars having superstars you know not having guys like Avery Bradley who's nice no offense to all the Avery Bradley. Well, I think we're all Avery Bradley fans. But not having it's about having legit stars. Not guys like Avery Bradley or a nice shooter who can stretch the floor like Kelly Olynyk or something like that, but having guys like Kyrie Irving. Uh Golden State is a good example. And that's the thing about having Kyrie Irving at 19 and 20 million dollars is if you're going to be loaded with stars because it's about having stars, one way to do that and stay under the salary cap is by getting stars that are below market value. Um, Clay and Draymond are great examples of that because uh, those guys are making 16 and $17 million next season. So, you know, you have an all-star team for the starting five and then like two Hall of Famers at least on the team right now uh, in the starting five with uh, Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. And Kevin Durant, by the way, uh, only making $25 million next season. And it's funny to say that it's only $25 million, but it is only $25 million. I mean, that's not a max contract. You know, I mean, it's not the 30 plus million dollars that, you know, you see other guys getting. Um, so Kyrie Irving, the Suns interested. I mean, a lot of people are interested. Everybody's interested for the right price. Uh, but so, I guess so far, the Suns and. Cleveland can't seem to find that sweet spot. They can't seem to find that right price or whatever. Um, so the Suns say they're willing to trade Eric Bledsoe regardless of whether or not they have a commitment from Kyrie Irving to come back. Suns say they will not do Josh Jackson, though, without a commitment. Uh, Cavaliers want Devin Booker. That's not going to happen. But if Phoenix was willing to do Eric Bledsoe, uh, Josh Jackson and a first rounder that would get the deal done um, Minnesota Cleveland they remain far apart Cleveland wants Andrew Wiggins Cleveland they just want all the great players you know 
They're saying, we're giving up a star, so we want a star in return. Um, Minnesota wants Wiggins, obviously, and they seem prepared to offer Wiggins a max deal when the time comes. And Wiggins is, you know, a young player, a great young player, somebody that Minnesota could, you know, have for years to come. And you know, we wouldn't really want to trade a guy who could be, you know, a franchise player for a number of years for someone like Kyrie Irving, who has two years left on his deal. Although Kyrie Irving did name Minnesota as one of those teams he said he would be willing to play for. Uh, speaking of guys who are willing to or not willing to play for whatever team, Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony has a no trade clause and he wants out of uh, New York. He said his time is done. He doesn't want to play there anymore. Wants to move on with his life. Um, yeah, he's got that no trade clause. So that makes it difficult if you're the Knicks. It's a difficult situation because this is a guy who says, I don't want to be here anymore. Uh, but now you have to find the perfect trade partner, a place that he's willing to go. You know, he might have to compromise a little bit because if he doesn't want to be there and if they can't make a trade with Houston because he has said, I want to play for Houston. I want to play with James Harden. Uh, I want to play with uh, Chris Paul. And that's what he's saying. That's what he wants to do. But, you know, I mean, come on, guy. Like, you're refusing to play for the Knicks and now you're forcing a trade with only one destination, one place that you're willing to go to. So he might have to be a little bit more flexible than that. Uh Will he play for Cleveland? I don't know. It kind of seemed like he didn't want to play for Cleveland. There were reports that he wouldn't play for Cleveland, which goes to show you the turmoil in Cleveland. Because, uh, like, why would you want to go to Cleveland at this point if LeBron James is probably going to opt out of his contract next summer? Kyrie doesn't want to be there anymore. So why would you want to be in that situation, you know? Uh, their turmoil possibly costing them an all-star player in Carmelo Anthony. And... I don't know. Would he rather play for the Knicks than play for Cleveland? I mean, this says a lot about Cleveland, doesn't it? Uh, but Stephen A. Um, actually said that uh, Cleveland is still a possibility. Despite reports to the contrary, uh, Stephen A. says that could happen. And Stephen A. in a recent interview being pretty harsh when he was talking about uh, Carmelo Anthony. And they said, why doesn't Melo want to play there anymore? And Stephen A's like, because he's tired of people like me who constantly remind him that he's been in the league for 14 years and he's never won a damn thing. He's never been to a finals. He's only been in the conference finals just once. So he's being, he's tired of being reminded of that. Uh, Stephen A said there's no excuse for him to continue to grab the money and accept sitting in a mediocre position. And... I guess he's right. Stephen A. is probably right about that because you look at the NBA now, it's all about winning championships, isn't it? It's all about, you know, teaming up with other elite level players and then forming a super team. And it's uh, it's about winning. At the very least, you know, if I mean, there's one super team. That's it. That's Golden State. And nobody seems like they're going to be able to beat Golden State for a number of years. So at the very least, you know, team up with another superstar and have a respectable basketball team. At the very least, go deep into the playoffs. You know, uh, something like uh, Russell Westbrook, Paul George. It's not like Paul George said, I want to team up with Russell Westbrook. He was kind of traded there. Uh, or something like uh, Chris Paul and James Harden, you know, whatever. And even uh, Gordon Hayward deciding to come to Boston. Gordon Hayward didn't have to come to Boston. You know, he was very comfortable out West. He could have made more money playing for Utah. And he was totally fine where he was. He had been there. He had a great relationship with the coach. He liked it there. He could have stayed uh, but instead, he opted to come to Boston, 
and play for a basketball team where there's a huge spotlight on you because the Boston media is just like, it's, it's insane. Radio stations, stuff like that. I mean, the, the Boston media puts a lot of pressure on athletes and, you know, sometimes people fold under that pressure, but he's willing to take that on. Uh, wants to play for uh, Brad Stevens, wants to play with Isaiah, wants to play with Al Horford. So I almost got to wonder if uh, if Summer League had any, I know Summer League is like kind of a joke to a lot of people, but I almost wonder if Summer League had anything to do with him deciding, Gordon Hayward deciding to come to the Celtics because around the time where uh, he put out that thing in the Players' Tribune, that was right around the same time that the Celtics played their first game out in Utah and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum both just, just went nuts. They both had amazing games and it's possible, you know, that he saw the individual talent and the, he saw the fact that like those two guys are just oozing with talent and said, Hey, in addition to, in addition to Al Horford, Brad Stevens, Isaiah Thomas, that awesome fan base, they have these young guys who could represent the future of the Boston Celtics. So it's a team built to win now, and it's a team to built to be productive a number of years from now. If everything goes well with the development of those two guys that I just mentioned, and then maybe even someone like uh, Shemi Ojale too. People seem to be really high on Shemi. I am. I know Brad Stevens is. Brad Stevens said that Shemi could walk in right now and be uh, – the, one of the team's top defenders. So you would assume that as the Celtics, you know, go into training camp and try and determine those 15 players to make the roster and that one guy who's going to get cut, you would assume that Shemi Ojale will be safe and he'll make the basketball team because of that defensive ability that Brad Stevens was ra raving about. So I don't know. It could come down to like uh, Abdul Nader, um, Shane Larkin, sh somebody like that. But Getting back to Kyrie Irving and how that affects the Celtics. Um, Cleveland, they want a veteran starter, a youngster on a rookie deal, a good one, and they want a first-round pick, too. I mean, if that happens, if Cleveland gets everything they want, they're going to still be better than the Celtics. They will still be better than the Seas because that one deal that people have talked about with Bledsoe Jackson in the first rounder, if that's what they get, then they're going to beat the Celtics. You know, or we're going to assume that Cleveland is still a better basketball team. Uh, Bledsoe scored 21 points per game last season. So he can score. I mean, he's not going to completely replace the production that you got from uh, Kyrie Irving. But he can score. And then Josh Jackson, too. You know, I mean, obviously, they want a good young player on a rookie deal. That would be really sweet, right? I mean, why not get Josh Jackson? Well, you wouldn't get Josh Jackson. Possibly wouldn't get him because Phoenix doesn't want to give him up. You know, I would see why Cleveland would go after Josh Jackson because fourth overall pick in the draft, high motor, you know, uh, an elite-level defender, rookie contract. So, yeah, of course they want Josh Jackson. And, of course, Phoenix doesn't want to give him up. Uh, but then, you know, they would want another first-round pick as well. So if they're able to get some a package similar to Josh Jackson and Eric Bledsoe, they'll probably go into the season as the favorite to uh, win the Eastern Conference Finals. Would they be the favorite to win the number one seed? No one cares. Nobody cares. Celtics last year, 53 wins, which was great, I guess. It's 
I still think that was an accomplishment. I know people kind of laugh at that, and they're like, oh, way to go. 53 regular season wins. Clearly, it didn't mean a damn thing. Uh, that's not my opinion. I mean, that's what other people are saying. But, you know, to see the Celtics, it says a lot about the basketball team. I mean, yeah, obviously Cleveland's a better team, and everybody knew that. But, you know, to pursue that number one seed the way they did says a lot about the team and how committed they are to winning and how bad those players want to win. You know, guys like Isaiah and Marcus and Avery and Kelly and Amir Johnson, everybody, Jonas Derebko, all of those guys, regardless of if they played 10 minutes or 30 minutes, everybody wanted to win. They wanted to win every single night. Uh, they wanted to go to the playoffs. They wanted to be the top seed. They wanted to beat Cleveland. That didn't happen. <laughs> but, you know, and that's a ride that's fun for Celtics fans, you know, to see them hustle their butts off and to see them play with that grittiness. That's what fans really like. I know Celtics are starting to, you know, build that fan base. I guess like pink hats, if you want to call them that, because they got Gordon Hayward they got Isaiah, Jason Tatum, you know, made it to the Eastern Conference Finals last season, and now they have this new toy in Gordon Hayward. So it's becoming really popular to like the Celtics again. But, you know, for the more diehard fans who, you know, have followed them for all these years, and specifically I'm talking about since day one of the Brad Stevens era and that horrible, you know, first year they had under Brad Stevens. Not that it was his fault, but it was just a terrible team. Um, going back to then... You know, and I guess as the roster evolved and guys started coming in and out, you know, you started noticing these players who were pretty special, guys who you expected to develop, guys who were just, you know, playing all out every single night. And people really appreciated that. That style of basketball was really fun. And the Celtics, you know, over the last couple of years have done an admirable job, I think, um, you know, playing beyond their abilities and just basically hustling, like I said, and and you know probably turning in turning some games that they shouldn't have won into wins because they just out hustled the other team uh but the Kyrie Irving thing yeah I mean if they're able to get Bledsoe if they can get um if they can get Josh Jackson probably better than the Celtics uh they would not be better than the Celtics though if they had to like rebuild which I think could you know still be an option at this point I mean let's say you can't get that package that you want with the you know, proven veteran, the great young player in the rookie deal, the first rounder. I mean, if you can't get that package, then I guess what's left? I mean, Kyrie doesn't want to be there. LeBron's probably going to opt out next season. So is being competitive even an option anymore? Or maybe is it time to start looking towards the future? You know, is it time to start considering, you know, what if we just trade for, you know, young players, we get picks, we get expiring contracts. You know, those expiring contracts... You know, something the Celtics utilized during their rebuilding process because they knew money would come off the books eventually. And then that way they would have future contract space to go out and get someone like Al Horford or get Gordon Hayward. So, I mean, if that's the route that they take where they start taking on these, you know, expiring contracts and they use their draft picks and stuff like that and, you know, get the young players. And I mean, if you're going to rebuild, you're talking about being good several years from now. You're not talking about being good. You know, like we're going to we're going to have a one year rebuild and be back in the Eastern Conference finals. It's not going to happen that way. So if you're talking about a rebuild, it's going to take several years. You know, these picks 
are guys that, you know, you can get out of the draft and then you groom and then several years, you know, they're veterans and they're really contributing and they're really making a difference in the NBA several years later when you would hope your team would be better several years later. And that's the nice thing about it is they have those, you know, um, young players on, you know, rookie contracts. So that does give them that cap flexibility. And, you know, maybe, you know, maybe uh, other players who are deciding their free agent destination, maybe they see that, you know, that Cleveland is committed to winning or whatever, or they see that it's a, a, a team with a bright future or whatever. So maybe you can attract some guys in free agency. Uh, maybe you uh, you get lucky in a trade or something like that. Um, because like Isaiah Thomas, I mean, Isaiah Thomas landing him in that trade for basically nothing was one of the keys to this quick rebuild. Obviously, the Brooklyn deal was huge, obviously. So the Brooklyn deal, the hiring of Brad Stevens, and the trade for Isaiah Thomas were like huge. They were all key. And the thing about getting Isaiah Thomas is people are joking about giving Isaiah Thomas the nickname The Reason. And they're saying the reason because Isaiah is the reason Al Horford signed. Uh, Isaiah and Al are the reason Gordon Hayward signed. I don't know if I've made this joke before, but, uh, you know, he's part of the reason. That's not that nickname doesn't necessarily roll off the tongue. But, you know, Al said that part of the reason why he decided to come to Boston was Isaiah, but it was also because of the fan base. You know, his team knocks the Celtics out of the playoffs and, and the friggin' Celtics fans. And this gets back to how the Celtics fans love watching the Scritty basketball team. They get knocked out of the playoffs and people stand there and they cheer for five minutes when, when their season's over. And they applaud them, you know, despite the fact that they just got booted out of the playoffs. So Isaiah, part of the reason that he came, um, you know, Brad Stevens... Celtics fan base, you know, these are all re reasons why Gordon Hayward, Al Horford decided to uh, to come to the Celtics. But, I mean, maybe that's something that happens with, with Cleveland. Celtics got pretty lucky in that Isaiah Thomas trade. I mean, Isaiah was a good player when he came to Boston, but I don't know if anyone ever expected him. Uh, you know, I don't think anyone expected him in 2016-2017 to score 29 points per game. So that was obviously that that deal was super huge for the Celtics. And, you know, not only and we're talking about cap flexibility and talking about having guys who are below market with their contracts, uh, guys like Clay and Draymond against 16 and 17 million next season, Kyrie Irving, uh, 19 and 20 over the next two seasons. Isaiah Thomas is making way less than that in the single digits. So getting that that trade was big because not only did he kind of put you on the map and bring you to the playoffs much sooner than I anticipated, but he gave you that cap flexibility because he's making you know hardly any money in compared to like NBA standards. Uh, you know his contract allows you to sign someone like Gordon Hayward, allows you to sign somebody like Al Horford. I don't know about this whole Brinks truck thing that Isaiah has. I don't know. Like I guess Isaiah thinks it's funny. I've never, I haven't heard anyone talk about this, so I don't know if this is a problem. Maybe I'm the only person who's even thinking of it, but this constant like reminder about backing up the Brinks truck, I mean, at some point it almost sounds like you're being selfish and you're being greedy. You know, I would like to see guys who are willing to sacrifice to win a championship, you know, like Kevin Durant, for example. Of course, Kevin Durant, you know, has all this money and, 
you know, I guess he's got invents, uh, investments in Silicon Valley and he's got endorsements and stuff like that. So maybe he's more willing to do something like that. Of course, Isaiah, this would be his first major deal. But the whole constant remind, constantly reminding people that Celtics are going to need to back up the Brinks truck. I don't know. That comes across as a little bit of, you know, selfishness. But, you know, I mean, he's such a fan favorite and he plays so hard and he plays through physical pain. Uh, he played through the death of his sister. So, I mean, no one doubts how bad he wants to win. You know, no one doubts how much he cares. Of course, winning means a lot to Isaiah Thomas. He's willing to sacrifice, you know. So, okay, I think I just... Now I'm making the argument for Isaiah and how this whole Brinks truck thing is not uh, not a huge deal. But I could see how somebody would think that it does come across as kind of like he's being greedy or whatever, but... I think we all know that IT is dedicated to winning, and the Celtics' Danny Ainge seems to be uh, dedicated to uh, Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah had those, I think, like sandals or whatever with, like, the Brinks truck and the money on the sandals, flip-flops or whatever. And uh, Danny Ainge was asked about it. Danny Ainge seemed to think it was kind of funny. He made jokes about it. So, uh, Isaiah Thomas, speaking of him, he's got a new buddy in Boston, Isaiah Thomas, Gordon Hayward. This is going to be fun. Like, going to be fun. Like, you know how I said the Celtics have been fun to watch over the last couple of years because, because of that toughness and because of that grittiness. And not necessarily last year, but before that, because of that, that defense. You know, you know uh, stealing the basketball, scoring in transition. All of those things, they have been fun to watch. You know, to watch those guys go out every night. And then, like I said earlier, to play beyond their abilities and to win games based on their hustle. You know, I mean, the Celtics over the last couple of years, they've been that type of team that you may be better than the Celtics. You may have more skill than the Celtics. But if you don't show up to play, they're going to run you off the court. If you don't show if you don't show up to play and you don't play with a certain amount of energy, they're going to beat you because they're going to they're going to be hungry. They're going to be ready to play. So. When I say Gordon Hayward, Isaiah Thomas is going to be fun, Celtics have been fun to watch the last couple of years because of their grittiness. The Celtics are going to be fun next season because their skill, because they're going to have so much skill offensively. They're going to have so much size, length, and athleticism and so much skill offensively, like guys being able to shoot the ball and create their own shots and stuff like that. They're going to have so much skill offensively. It is going to be so fun to watch. You know, I mean, I still like a good defensive play, like watching Marcus Smart, like, shut down a big in the low post. That'll be fun. Watching Marcus, like, swat the ball away from somebody. That'll be fun, you know. I like, it's really cool when I, when Marcus, uh, you know, rips the ball out of somebody's hands and as he's falling down, he's really good at this. Like, he'll steal the ball and as he's falling down, going to the to court, he'll find a way to pass the ball to an open guy as he's falling down. Like if he's on the baseline and he's about to fall out of bounds, he'll chuck that ball down court to somebody. But yeah, I'm sure we'll see some decent defensive plays and stuff like that. I want to see Aaron Bain stuff somebody at the rim because we've been missing that. Although Al Horford last year seemed to stuff a lot of guys. You know, he's not necessarily known as, you know, like I guess your traditional big who's going to protect the rim and he's going to get 100 rebounds and stuff like that he's definitely not a dominant rebounder um Celtics should be fun they're going to have a lot of skill offensively so Gordon Hayward you know just a guy who can create his own shot he's somebody that can generate offense on a consistent basis he's a guy who's capable 
of taking over a basketball game. Well, you know how sometimes Isaiah scores points and bunches, you know, and, you know, kind of like reduces the deficit or brings the Celtics back into a game or the Celtics pull away like that or something because Isaiah scored a bunch of points really quickly because that's what he can do. Gordon Hayward is capable of doing the same thing. And Isaiah Thomas has played for the Celtics for two and a half seasons, and he has been the only consistent scorer. He's been the only guy that can create his own shot, and he's had to carry the team. So this is going to be a chance to see Isaiah play alongside somebody who is as skilled as he is offensively. So it might not come down to Isaiah constantly bailing out the team. And he really carried the team last year. He put the team on his shoulders and he brought them to the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, obviously, there was good play from other players. You know, uh, Avery Bradley throughout the season was great. Jay Crowder throughout the season shot the ball extremely well. His shooting dipped quite a bit uh, in the playoffs, but throughout the season, he had like a career year shooting the basketball. But Isaiah was the guy, and he had several career highs last season. So I'm talking about him carrying the team. All five foot nine of him. Everybody loaded on Isaiah's back. The worst guy ever to give anybody a piggyback ride, five foot nine Isaiah Thomas. Career highs in minutes per game last season. He had 34. He had a career high in field goal attempts. He had a career high in free throw attempts per game. And he also had a career high in points, 29. And he had a career year shooting the ball at 46%. So not only was there like a serious uh, uptick in the volume of shots and stuff like that, he was extremely efficient too. I mean, to take 19 field goal attempts on average every single night and to turn that into 46% shooting, a career high, he was extremely efficient. So, I mean, it was obviously a breakout season for Isaiah Thomas. And, I mean, everybody knew he was good. You know, you could tell he was good the moment he arrived in Boston. He came here and he wasn't even a starter. He was just supposed to be a spark off the bench. And there was this whole debate about whether or not he should be a starter. And for whatever reason, probably his height, people are like, I like that guy as a spark off the bench. You know, don't put him in the starting lineup. You know, but then he had a career high in his second year with the Celtics in points, and then his career high in points blows up in uh, his second full season in Boston. I think it went from 22 the previous year to 29 last season. And he has improved since he came to Boston. Brad Stevens at one point, I think it was during like a post-game press conference or something, was talking about IT, and he said, well, IT's always been good since he's been here, but he's worked on his game. And Stevens said that... It was obvious that he was better at pull-up threes last year. That was something that you could see watching the games on TV. Uh, Scott Rafferty did some stats, came up with some stats, uh, talking about Isaiah Thomas and how you know how much the team relies on him. Probably to a fault, you know they rely on him so much. You know you see it in the playoffs. You know guys kind of you know really clamp down on it in the playoffs and really focus on him, and then they force him to throw the ball to somebody else. And uh, it just doesn't work the same. It's just, I mean, it's just, if you can get Isaiah a lane to the basket or give him open looks, I mean, that's what you want. You don't want Isaiah getting bottled up and then having to kick the ball out to like Terry Rozier or something. But uh, Isaiah on the court last season, 113 points per 100 possessions. That's with Isaiah on the court. And that would have tied Golden State for best in the league. But if you take away Isaiah, that's 99 points 
per 100 possessions. So 113 compared to 99, 99 would have been the worst in the NBA. And getting back to that whole thing about Isaiah Thomas, you know, getting taken away at times in the uh, playoffs. And I mean, it's not like it happened every single game because we saw Isaiah just have some amazing games uh, in the playoffs, especially following the death of his sister. Obviously, in the regular season, you saw that difference in the point totals. But in the playoffs, 108 points per 100 possessions in the playoffs, regardless of whether or not Isaiah is on the floor. So offensively, it seemed like they took a step back. Teams taking him away. And this had, this had been something that was a problem throughout the season, not just, you know, or I guess the, the last couple of seasons with IT. Not just teams taking him away at times during the playoffs, but doing it at times during the regular season as well. And then once IT is either not on the floor or, you know, he's struggling or whatever, you know, the team can go cold at times. So and then, you know, maybe at that point you see something like, well, you know, the offense is stale. Let's run a play for Avery. Let's get Avery the shot on a dribble handoff or off a screen or something like that. And he can knock it down, you know, but I mean, seriously, like. Isaiah's ability to get to the basket and get to the free throw line and score at the rim and stuff like that, you're not going to make up for that lack of production by occasionally getting uh, by occasionally getting Avery Bradley the ball, you know, shooting off of a screen or something like that. During the playoffs, the Celtics brought in Gerald Green into the starting lineup. They did that to create space. They did it to add some shooting, to add some athleticism. You know, and, and it worked in the Chicago series, but I mean, come on, it's Gerald Green. Take Gerald Green out of that equation, you insert Gordon Hayward. You know, like you have Gordon Hayward, so when Isaiah attacks the basket, if the defense wants to collapse on the little guy, you know, and you leave Gordon Hayward all alone, that's not going to work for the defense. Gordon Hayward can catch and shoot, he can uh, shoot spot up shots. He shot 40% from three last season. So, I mean, defenders are going to stick with Gordon Hayward, and that's going to create space for Isaiah to drive the, the drive to the basket. It's going to create passing lanes. And Isaiah driving to the basket, nobody drives to the basket in the NBA. He was first in the NBA in drives last season. No one drives to the basket more than the little guy. But, you know, Stretching the floor, creating space. Al Horford did that last season, his first season with the Celtics, shooting 35% from three-point range. Shooting the three at an insane clip in the playoffs. He was so good in the playoffs. Um, but, you know, we saw it last year with uh, with Al Horford's ability to stretch the floor and how that affected the basketball team, made them, win a, uh, made them a better team who won 53 games. And it was a struggle getting through the playoffs, but they got to the Eastern Conference Finals after not having won a playoff series under Brad Stevens. They won uh, a couple of playoff series, and it was a grind. It was difficult. They were down uh, two games to none versus the Bulls, and they came. They, they took a, a Rajon Rondo injury, but they came back and then, you know, they played a tough series, seven games versus Washington. So it was a grind. It was tough. And then once they got to the Eastern Conference Finals, Cleveland just, you know, just steamrolled the Celtics. I still don't think it's fair to say that. I mean, obviously, if you're trailing Chicago two games to none in the playoffs, your chances of winning that series aren't very good. 
But I think it's kind of unfair to say that that they weren't going to come back and they would not have won that series if Rajon Rondo hadn't gotten hurt. I mean, obviously, they're down two games to none. Rondo stays healthy, and it's going to be extremely difficult to win. But, you know, the Celtics, they were in a tough spot there in that Chicago series because Isaiah's sister had just died. And Chris Forsberg reported that when IT's sister died, you know, it's a close locker room. The guys like each other. But when they were in the locker room before a playoff game, this is a playoff game. You've been working your butts off, all excited to get the playoffs. You should be excited. The fans are excited. But, you know, it's like the atmosphere in the locker room was just, it wasn't, it wasn't the same. Guys were quiet. They didn't know if it was okay to have fun and celebrate and get excited with their teammate hurting the way he was. You know, and then it seemed like things got a little bit easier for him as the playoffs went on. You know, I mean, I, I, I don't really know what it's like to deal with something like that. But at the very least, according to Chris Forsberg, things got easier for the team. They started to loosen up a little bit in the locker room and started to act more like themselves and started to have more fun and play better and win basketball games. But maybe the Celtics could have won that series for Chicago, even if Rajon Rondo hadn't gotten hurt and let's not act like the Chicago Bulls were the Chicago Bulls of the 1990s okay that was a team that barely even made it to the playoffs they weren't a good basketball team throughout the regular season you know they they had issues with infighting um Dwayne Wade was going to shut it down because he was hurt but then he's like oh wait we're not that bad anymore so then he comes back Rajon Rondo had been sent to the bench. You know, this was not a great basketball team. I mean, it seemed like during those first two games of that series, like they were playing their best basketball of the season. And as a Celtics fan, you're like, oh, give me a break. Like, what kind of luck is that? All right. Well, that's going to do it for me. Uh, Another episode of Celtics pod in the books. I'm Eric Vandenbosch. I'll be back here pretty soon. Maybe when I come back, maybe Kyrie Irving will be playing for a different team. Maybe Carmelo Anthony will uh, be a member of the uh, Houston Rockets like he wants so badly. All right, uh, Eric Vandenbosch, Celtics Pod. Take it easy.